Welcome to the new podcast, History, Politics, and Beer, where we examine contemporary issues through the lens of history. We are solving the world's problems one podcast at a time. Now, from the home office in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to sit back with an ice cold one and enjoy the pontifications of your hosts, Matt Shockey and Jeff Hudson. Welcome to History, Politics, and Beer, your low-calorie, gluten-free, locally-sourced, free-range podcast that examines politics through the lens of history. We are solving the world's problems one podcast at a time. Of course, when solving the world's problems, you have to enjoy a beer with a good friend. And this week, we are enjoying a... I'm not even sure what I'm enjoying here, but I'm going to let Mr. Hudson talk about that in a little bit. Uh, But remember, it doesn't have to be a beer. Your beverage of choice could be tea, uh, coffee, soda, or even milk. It's just good to have refreshments with a friend. We remind you that we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is historypoliticsandbeer at gmail.com. We had some great comments last week um, on uh, for topics for new shows and some uh, subjects we should jump into, and I think we're going to take those into consideration. Across from me is my partner and good friend, Jeffrey Hudson. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm good. Thank you, Matt. Um, today, you brought us a kind of a collage of different things. Yeah, one of the great things with the, uh, with the craft brewing movement is a lot of brewers will put several of their styles and beers in a 12-pack, and you can, you know... Uh, that's good. Well, I just took a sip. Whatever, okay. Okay. whatever that was you gave me, that is really good. Yeah, that's uh, now it's that's uh, it's, it's not a, a an IPA. It's not quite that hoppy, but you can taste the hops to it. Yeah, you, you can. Like, you enjoyed that one? Well, yeah. I, like I said, I'm not. A, I think I, we talked about this earlier. I'm not a huge IPA fan because they can get really hoppy. And if you don't know anything about beer, hoppiness really equates to bitterness in beer. Um, and some people really like that. I don't. I like a little bit of bitter, uh, but this is a real mild, smooth beer. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad you like that. I have a little hoppier uh, uh, version from the same uh, brewer, and I'm enjoying that as well. And and you know, um, craft brewing is is just a tremendous American success story. We talk about all the uh, failures in in the country and and how less competitive the country is in some ways. Uh, than it used to be, but uh, American brewers used to make uh, a very similar style of beer, a light lager. They all basically uh, taste the same. In fact, my friend and I, when we were in college, spending our time in college really wisely at the bar, (laughs) would would try to tell them apart. (laughs) And it was really, really difficult. Uh, I remember Budweiser did have a somewhat distinctive flavor, but it was very, very difficult to tell the others uh, apart. Um, and uh, there, there were some smaller regional breweries. I remember there was one called Old Dutch in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I, I drank, I think, a little bit of Old Dutch in my time. But by the end of the 1970s, these breweries were declining. And I think they were declining because they're basically producing the same product. So you had a few brewers getting all the market share. Miller, you know, Pabst Cor- Blue Ribbon. Coors. Coors. Uh, Anheuser-Busch was right. probably the biggest. And people wanted uh, uh, actually uh, guys who were into brewing as a hobby started were really the start of the craft brewing. And they would brew their own beer and they would get a good response and uh, that craft brewing has just uh, taken off from eight in 1988 craft brewers uh, to over 6,000 
this year, 2018. This was the, uh, the free market working well Absolutely, beer. absolutely. People wanted something and the market responded to it. And you could get into the market. You had freedom of entry right. into the market because the, the costs weren't crazy to, to start your own little brewery. And uh, it gave people choice. And what you have now, I think, uh, I think America has the best beer in the world. So we're back on top. <laughs> we made beer great again. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So to start off this week, I came up with a little game called Place Your Bet. Um, pretty simple. The premise is I'm going to give you a make-believe $100. Then I'm going to give you a premise, Jeff. Then you have to bet a portion of that $100 to support what you think is going to happen. And then explain why you were willing to bet that much. So obviously a bet of $100, man, you're 100% sure this is going to happen. Bet of $2, it's a, that's pretty weak. You don't think it's going to happen. All right. So here we go. Uh, place your bet on this scenario. Will the Democrats take control of the House of Representatives in the midterm elections? I think I would go $65 on this one. Okay. Uh, I, am, I think, uh, you know, that to me represents about their chance. They got about a two thirds chance. Now, if con- congressional districts were not gerrymandered, I'd put all my money on it because I think, without a doubt, more Democrats are going to go to the polls in, in the fall than Republicans. Right now, uh, the polls on generic preference, uh, uh, whether you prefer Democrats or Republicans, I think the latest ones I've just seen have been double digits now for Democrats. Uh, I don't see that changing significantly before November, but districts are gerrymandered, and you have to have a consider- considerably more Democrats turn out in a lot of these states than Republicans. But I, I think uh, I would put 65 bucks on that one. I- I like it. I, I agree. I'm probably go a little higher. I'll probably go about $80 on it. Um, I look at uh, who is more motivated. And right now, with if you look at the marches that are taking place, the Democrats are motivated. Um, and if you look back at the last election, certainly the Trump voters were more motivated than Hillary Clinton. And even though Trump lost the general election by three and a half million votes. Um, the popular vote. The popular vote, right. Um where he needed it, he got it. Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio, that little push. And Michigan. it was that, it was that in Michigan that was that popularity. So I I agree with your leaning. I would take it a little bit more. I take it to eighty dollars. Right. Okay. Next. If Trump makes it to twenty twenty, right? right? And there's a lot of ifs here because there's a lot of balls in play, which we're gonna talk about a little bit today with impeachment. If he makes it to twenty twenty, will he be reelected? This uh, is a tough one. It's a tough one because of the Electoral College. And, right. And you're going to have to have a Democratic candidate that is more appealing than Hillary Clinton was in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, uh, the states that Barack o- uh, Obama won, Ohio, fairly easily. And uh, Hillary Clinton was not able to win. Uh, right now, depending on the polls, by the way, the best way for uh, to look at polls is to go someplace where they aggregate them because polls have biases in them. Uh, and the more you put, uh, the more polls you can put together, uh, generally you can get a little less bias, but also you get less margin of error because a poll's just a sample. Anyhow, so the more samples you have, the better off you are. And uh, I think 538, which is, is my go to site for polls, is, 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 uh, um, Trump just under 40% job approval rating with the ones that they're aggregating. That doesn't lead to reelection. 
No, so it doesn't. I, I don't think he'll be reelected. No. So what was what what was the money you put on that? Well, I, did you, you did you know? I I, I I would put all hundred, except the Democrats have a way of screwing things up. So I'll put eighty bucks on that. Eighty bucks that he will not be reelected. Yeah, or, yeah. Okay. I I I agree with you. Um, I I would stay at eighty or ninety dollars. Um, typically presidents get a second term. Um, one single term presidents are relatively rare. Um, a lot of times something unique has to happen to limit you to a one term. Now they're not unheard of. Obviously they happen. We've had them very recently with, uh, HW uh, Bush, I think was our last one term president. But typically when you get to that second term, typically you get it if you want it. But I think we're dealing with a little bit of a different animal here. Um, and with predicting what's going to happen with Donald Trump. Well, you have the uh, lowest job approval ratings for this period, for this time in someone's presidency since World War II. Yeah. So that's that's historically low. Usually, this is uh, maybe the end of what they call a honeymoon period, right. where and and we just haven't had any honeymoon to speak of. <laughs> and like you said, I think Democrats are, are motivated. The only thing about Democrats is they're really enamored. Some of them, some groups in the Democratic Party, with identity politics, they think they need to tick certain boxes when they pick a candidate. And if they go that route, if they tick their boxes, uh, let's say they would really want uh, a minority female candidate, and maybe from a liberal state. So now you got three boxes you're ticking off. I don't know if that wins you Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, states that you need. And you're already going to win New York and California. Right. So, and we'll talk about identity politics as another, that's another whole subject. So we can talk about that later. So I hope they don't go that route. I hope they stay pragmatic. And actually, I think there's, uh, you know, I can think of good candidates, you know, uh, women of color. Oprah gets mentioned sometimes. Yep. It wouldn't surprise me to see Oprah take Pennsylvania or Michigan. Really wouldn't if she was if if she could present herself like she does on her show in a political campaign. So I'm not saying that that's always a bad idea, but but when you when you base ideology over pragmatism in politics, a lot of times it can come back and bite you in the butt. Well, that leads us into the last question I have for you. Place your bet, and this is a two-parter. First, you have to pick the man or woman that you think the Democrats will dominate to run in 2020, then you have to give me the bet is what are the odds that this person actually wins the nomination? Does that make sense? It does. And I don't, I don't know who they, they're going to pick. I really don't. Uh, Again, you know, there's, there's people that check uh, Kamala Harris, who's a, a black Senator from California would check a lot of boxes I'm not sure how broad her appeal would be. Um, you know, but one thing, too, I mean, I think she's a new figure uh, on the political scene comparatively. And I think that beats uh, being Hillary Clinton, which is being on the political scene for 20-some years, and everybody has pretty much affirmed an opinion. Right. If you did pick a fresh face like that, even if you were playing identity politics to a point— they'd have an opportunity to present themselves to the American people at, in, as in a brand new fashion, you know, to, to shape their image. So, but I don't, I don't know. I, ha- I haven't seen any really straw polls among Democrats. About I haven't seen either. If I was picking somebody right now, I think the Democrats will lean to, I think it's Cory Booker. 
I'm going to give a six. I'm going to go a whopping sixty dollars that Cory Booker is the next Democratic nominee, and I place that confidence just in history that political parties tend to do what has worked in the past. In the 19th century, we get a lot of generals running for office because generals could win elections. So that was sort of the go-to mili- go to your military. Uh, the Democrats' last success is with a minority candidate um, who energized the base, who was energetic, was progressive. Um, and and he co- won the majority of the popular vote both times. Right. The majority of the popular vote, which is hard to do in the United States. So I think that Cory Booker is the closest thing to, they have to a Barack Obama um, they, I think the party simply goes back to what was, what did they have last have success with? And I think Cory Booker is about as close as you can get. So there we go. There we place your bets and, uh, we're going to then tackle and jump into impeachment. Okay, so now let's get down and dirty and talk about impeachment. Uh, to give you the lay of the land here, ladies and gents, we're going to look at the Constitution. What does the Constitution say about impeachment? What do some of the founders say about impeachment? Uh, and then we're going to historically look at three uh, impeachments or near impeachments. We're going to look at Andrew Johnson, Richard Nixon, and Bill Clinton. Uh, and then we are going to jump into troubled waters and take a look at uh, Donald Trump and where we might be heading with Donald Trump. So let's take all of this and get down to basics and let's take a look at exactly what the Constitution says, uh, the wording of the Constitution for impeachment. And for that, I'm going to throw it off to you, Jeff. Okay. Uh, When can impeachment occur? You know, we all see the bumper stickers. Almost any president's been elected in the last 20 years. Some disgruntled person sticks a bumper sticker on their card and says, you know, impeach Bush or impeach Clinton, impeach Obama. And uh, I, I, I've seen some impeach uh, Trump T-shirts, actually. So, uh, and the, the deal with impeachment is, uh, oddly enough, it, it can't occur just because a block of voters doesn't like that guy. Because whoever gets elected, there's a block of voters who doesn't like the guy who's elected. Impeachment is part of our checks and balances system in the United States where we have three separate branches of government doing three different jobs. And each branch, the legislature, uh, the judicial branch, and the executive branch, all have checks on the other. And the ultimate check of the legislature on the presidency and on the judicial branch is impeaching someone, which means bringing charges and having a a trial. And if uh, those persons in the judicial branch or the executive branch are found guilty, then they can be removed from office. Right. Um, impeachment is that check because you're talking about terms of office that the founders or actually the public would not have found uh, favorable or comfortable. You're talking about six-year term for the Senate, four-year term for the president. Um, in the Articles of Confederation, the term of office was one year. Uh, and I can't for remember the president of I'm the sorry, legislature for the legislative branch. There was no executive branch under the articles. So the legislative branch was elected to one year terms. And there was also term limits written into the Articles of Confederation. Um, and most local burgesses were elected to one year. The fe- one of the Federalist Papers, I, I can't remember which one it was, said when annual elections end, tyranny begins. And this idea that you were going to give Senate six years, and especially the, a president, an executive, four years, um, that scared some with, with people. With no term limits. With no, absolutely no term limits, 
impeachment and the possibility of removal from office becomes a very important uh, check on that power. Um, now, the founders, uh, we had this discussion, Federalists and Anti-Federalists, last podcast. The Federalists had many explanations on why a six-year term and a four-year term were appropriate, but the, the check on that was also appropriate to alleviate the concerns of the populace. Yeah. Um, Madison, uh, who is known as the father of the Constitution, what is government itself but the greatest of all reflections on human nature? If men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. Obviously, he didn't think people were angels. He didn't think the president was going to be an angel. So he advocated these checks, and they were written into the Constitution. As he said, ambition must be made to counteract ambition. So if we look at what the Constitution actually says about impeachment and removal from office, and I think we should also say that impeachment is not removal from office. Uh, if you want to think of it in a modern sense, impeachment is really like an indictment uh, that triggers a trial. So you have impeachment in the House representatives by a simple majority vote. That, if passed, then by a simple majority, goes to the, uh, the Senate, and the Senate will hold a trial. If you get two-thirds of the vote in the Senate to say guilty, then that person will be removed. So the Constitution says, the president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Um, the Constitution does define treason, but I don't think we really have to do that here. It's pretty straightforward what treason is. Bribery, I think, is also sort of straightforward. What we really have to drop down and talk about eventually is going to be um, what high crimes and misdemeanors really mean. Now, historically, there's been 19 impeachments. Um, now, that's because not only presidents can be impeached. Overwhelmingly, the vast majority of those impeachments are going to be judges. To break it down for you, we've had one senator impeached. Uh, matter of fact, that was the first case of impeachment ever brought, but that case was dropped after the it was ruled that senators were not eligible to be impeached. Um, we have one cabinet member, a secretary of war that was impeached. We've had 15 federal judges and two presidents. Removal from office, we've had a total of eight. Um, seven federal judges were convicted and removed, and one was resigned. Okay. Or one resigned, not was resigned. Go ahead. Well, right. We 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 see this in in action, and as you said, uh, treason. Well, treason does have a specific. It's obviously it's betraying your country, but uh, it, this treason is also considered betraying your country in a time of war. Benedict Arnold was the most famous traitor in American history, and of course he gave up the plans and for West Point for money and a commission in the in the British Army when he was serving in the newly formed uh, uh, American army, and that's treason. So he, he not only worked with a foreign country to undermine, it was in a time of war. Uh, bribery, everybody knows the payoffs, but high crimes is, is a nebulous, somewhat nebulous concept. And misdemeanors aren't like misdemeanors you find, you know, in, in any state uh, legal code will define what the misdemeanors are. Uh, you know, shoplifting is probably going to be a misdemeanor. Uh, you know, it, it means a lesser crime as opposed to felonies. But that's not what they're talking. We, we don't know exactly what they're talking about. Those crimes have to be defined as part of the impeachment process. Right. So 
uh, during the Constitution, uh, the language that was being debated, they used treason, bribery, corruption, maladministration, high crimes and misdemeanors. And they also had the language against a state in there as well. Now, obviously, they dropped corruption, they dropped maladministration, and they also dropped against a state. They would have understood um, high crimes and misdemeanors to be something along the lines of misappropriation of government funds, uh, not prosecuting cases, threatening a grand jury, submitting fake expense reports. Some of these were crimes, some of them were not, but all of them had the basis of abuse of power. Really what you need to do is you need to abuse power in a way that is going to benefit yourself and also hurt the American people. Um, just to give you an idea of the reason, I, I listed 19 impeachments earlier. Some of the reasons for those were drunkenness, political bias, arbitrary rulings, promoting a partisan political agenda on the bench, abuse of power, supporting the Confederacy, failure to live in his district. Um, and as you notice, something like... Um, promoting a partisan political agenda. Well, heck, that basically is every po every politician ever lived. So this is a little bit like a rubber band. You can stretch some of this stuff really to make it suit what you want. But as you said, this high crimes and misdemeanors is kind of vague in exactly what is impeachable. Right. And uh, another one of the authors of the Federalist Papers, Alexander Hamilton, uh, wrote this in Federalist 65. He said, and he's talking about impeachments, the prosecution of them for this reason will seldom fail to agitate the passions of the whole community and to divide it into parties more or less friendly or inimical, inimical to the accused. In many cases, animosities, partialities, influence, and interest on one side or on the other. And in such cases, there will always be the greatest danger that the decision will be regulated. This, this is the important. The decision will be regulated more by the comparative strength of parties than by real demonstrations of innocence or guilt. So the framers, the people who set up the checks and balance system and, and put the uh, criteria for impeachment, understood that this was going to be a political process and not just merely a legal one. Right. And in fact, they, like so many other ways they were correct, all the examples of historical impeachments of presidents have been from, uh, <clears throat> they were impeached by a party in Congress who is not of their party. Right. I think, um, quote Gerald Ford here, and I think that is something that not many people say in their life, uh, to quote Gerald Ford. But Gerald Ford said the only answer is that an impeachable offense is whatever the majority of the House of Representatives considers to be an impeachable offense. And that's true. It, it Basically, it's up to the interpretation of the House of Representatives. Uh, I remember when Bill Clinton was impeached, and I heard a lot of arguments saying, well, that's not an impeachable offense. Well, that's like I mean, having an affair with a right. I mean, that's like hanging from the you know you had the rope around your neck and they're about to pull the trap door and hang you from the gallows and you screaming you can't execute me for this. Well, obviously they can because they're going to do it, uh, right? I mean, obviously it's an impeachable offense because he was impeached. You right. might want to make an argument that this is not what the founders intended to be an impeachable offense, but I think really what Ford says is true. If the House representatives think it's impeachable. It's impeachable. And he also went on to say about the Senate, the same thing is that if the Senate thinks you're guilty, you're guilty. There really, there's not a good measuring stick. There's not a good. So it's, it's not beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. right. Exactly. Uh, and also there's no appeal. So even if you think you've been railroaded, tough. And the only penalty for impeachment is removal from office. Then if they want to go, if, you know, 
if uh, an attorney general or a state's attorney general wants to go ahead and prosecute you for crimes, they can. But you're not going to go to jail or pay a fine because you're impeached. You're just going to leave. And the founders created the, uh, the office of the presidency. Uh, unlike in a parliamentary system, they created the presidency having their own base of power, their own election. As a parliament, you have the, the, the head of a parliamentary system is usually the prime minister who's uh, the chief of the governing party. He's, uh, and, and, and he's dependent upon the legislature for his position. You don't really need uh, a check on him necessarily, but if you have an independent presidency, and remember our founders didn't anticipate a party system either. Right. Parties aren't mentioned in the Constitution. But if you have an independent presidency, they recognize that you, this could lead to some form of dictatorship or monarchical government, and they didn't want that. And so they wanted a way Congress, uh, the people's representatives, the ones who are closer to the people in the states, could get rid of this guy right. or and they, women. And they also would have, you, by reading it, you come to the conclusion that they would anticipate that people would be impeached and not removed from office um, because it's a simple majority to impeach, two-thirds to remove from office. Obviously, the second step is much more difficult than the first step. So there is this idea that they would have intended for impeachment to take place sort of as almost as a reprimand, but not for a removal from office. Right. Just a second. Okay, all this talking was getting me dry. <laughs> uh, Let's move on to Andrew Johnson. Uh, this is our first presidential impeachment. His, history will tell us it's a really a 100% uh, political impeachment. And he is the 17th president of the United States. Um, he is a Democrat from the great state of Tennessee. He is the only senator, Southern senator, to remain loyal to the Union during the Civil War uh, as a Democrat coming north. And when the war was still going on, but it was pretty much everyone knew who would win, um, the idea of reconstruction and how we're going to rebuild the country was being discussed. And Lincoln certainly had his own ideas. And he felt that having a, a Southern Democrat on the ticket would go a long way to healing that rift between the North and the South. Um, well, yeah, Lincoln never understood uh, the Southern states as being a separate nation. I mean, his theory of government was that they were uh, states that were in rebellion. So, yeah, this for, Reconstruction would be assimilating the states back into the Union that they had no right to leave. Uh, and, and that's exactly right. He wanted this guy. Was Johnson from Tennessee or Kentucky? He, he is from Tennessee. Oh. We have a battle now going on between the president and the radical Republicans in Congress. As uh, you said, Hudson, the Lincoln saw this as states in rebellion and bringing this whole thing back together would be a rather simple process. Simple now is relative term. The radicals in Congress, the radical Republicans led by Thaddeus Stevens said, no, 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 they are conquered territory. There's going to be a much more stringent reconstruction. We're going to bring them back into the union. We're going to split them up into military districts. Um, and they're going to come back in the union on our terms. Yeah, now, and, and for some reason, these guys didn't think the Southerners would treat the freed blacks as equals. And that's why they passed the 14th Amendment guaranteeing them equal protection and the 15th Amendment uh, guaranteeing uh, uh, the right to vote to people regardless of race. So, Right. I mean, there's 9 million South. You have to remember, there's 9 million Southerners uh, and 4 million of that 9 million are slaves. And, you know, slavery is overwhelmingly uh, part of our economy and part of the culture of the time. Uh, one in seven Americans was a slave. 
um, and it's almost half of the South. So this is this is a huge part of the discussion. Well, Lincoln was probably going to carry the day because he was very popular. So to have a more moderate reconstruction uh, over the protests of the radicals was probably going to happen. However, with Lincoln's assassination, all of that changes. Johnson comes into office. Now, Johnson is a man without a country. The Democrats don't trust him because he had run with a Republican, and the Republicans don't trust him because he's a Democrat. Um, He attempts to put forth some sort of reconstruction favoring what Lincoln thought, though Johnson was a racist. The radicals are pushing and pushing and pushing for more legislation dealing with what we call congressional reconstruction, and Andrew Johnson is vetoing everything. Right. And uh, and remember, there's also uh, Lincoln was beloved and he was assassinated. There's a, there's a lot of anger in the North. And uh, even some pretty intelligent Southerners understood that Lincoln's assassination was going to be bad for them in, in, in the long run. So um, the, the Republicans can't do what they want to do uh, with Johnson in office. So they kind of set a trap for him, right? Absolutely. Edwin Stanton was a secretary of war under Lincoln, and he stays on under Johnson. Uh, he was absolutely an ally to the radical Republicans in Congress, but he was on Johnson's cabinet. Now, he, on the surface, he was playing loyal to Johnson, but behind the scenes, he was leak- leaking everything to the radical Republicans. The radicals in Congress wanted to make sure that Edwin Stanton would stay on Johnson's cabinet. So they passed something called the Tenure of Office Act. Now, this is a little obscure stuff here, but basically the Tenure of Office Act said that you cannot fire a cabinet position without the consent of Congress. Basically saying you can only hire with the consent of Congress, now you can, you, and you fire only with the consent of Congress. In the past, there had been cabinet positions approved by Congress. If you want to fire them, go ahead. Well, now Stanton is embedded in the Johnson administration. Johnson takes the bait, and he attempts to fire Stanton, hence violating the Tenure of Office Act. On a side note, Johnson was right. It is unconstitutional. Eventually, the courts are going to rule in his favor that um, the Tenure of Office Act was unconstitutional. There is no constitutional requirement to get congressional approval to fire a cabinet position. But anyway, Johnson stumbles into this. The radical Republicans absolutely take advantage of it and impeach him for violating the Tenure of Office Act. Impeachment is rather quickly, goes to the trial in the Senate, and by one vote, he is not removed from office. Right. He, was, uh, he wasn't undermining the government. Uh, he was preventing uh, the, the so-called radical Republicans from implementing their agenda. He was doing that by vetoes, and, and that's constitutional. Exactly. That's, that's part of the checks and balance system. So they tried to use the checks and balance system to get rid of him, even though Johnson was really kind of just doing what he should have done under the Constitution. Now we let's run up to Nixon. A lot of people, you just said at the at the beginning of our our little podcast here that uh, there's only been two presidents impeached, and and that's correct. But there was a president that was caught up in the impeachment process, and it eventually leads to him getting out of office, and that's uh, Richard Nixon. And Richard Nixon in 1972 was running for re-election. And he was afraid. He had, had a very, very close election he lost in 1960 to John Kennedy. and was deathly afraid he was going to get beat. So he uh, created something called the Committee to Re-elect the President. And 
without being specific, they had a, uh, a go-ahead to do pretty much whatever it takes to get rid of Nixon. And some of the people on that committee to reelect the president broke into the Watergate Hotel in Washington. Right. So Nixon's paranoid here. Um, and as you bring up, he was Nixon's vice president, lost to Kennedy. Uh, I'm sorry. Exactly. Eisenhower, Eisenhower's vice president losing to Kennedy. Uh, and Eisenhower was an extremely popular president. And the idea that Eisenhower's vice president could lose to Kennedy, Kennedy also being a Catholic and there's a there's a sting a brand to that. new face on the national scene of politics. Right. There's a sting to that. So by the time Nixon actually wins and gets into the White House, there is a level of paranoia there. Um, and he does authorize a break into the Watergate Hotel. Well, I don't think he authorized that. No, break-in. you're right. He authorized yeah. a cover up eventually. Yeah, right. Right. Um, and the what was important about the Watergate is that's that is where the Democratic National Headquarters was located. They broke into the Democratic National Headquarters and were planning bugs. They were caught. Um, it really starts boiling down to what did Nixon know and when did Nixon know it? Um, and as happens a lot of times, the cover-up becomes bigger and more dangerous than the crime itself. Um, and eventually we know that Nixon did know about what had happened and was instrumental in attempting to cover up um, the break-in instead of just coming clean on it. And it's really the cover-up that's going to be the genesis of his impeachment and, and, if he wouldn't have resigned. And we and we knew about we we find out that he was obstructing justice and probably suborning perjury uh through tapes. And the reason he had tapes uh the tape system redone in the Oval Office was probably uh to have something on the people that had discussions with him. He would always have the accurate record and he would always have if there was any off-color or politically uh, not astute uh, observations, he would have those on tape. And uh, so it, it's funny. His his own paranoia is what really traps him in the end because it is the existence of those tapes and the the fact that a, uh, a judge, Sirica, I believe, orders that they, when they're subpoenaed, that they have to be turned over, that they're not subject to executive privilege. It is the existence of those tapes and the fact they can be used as evidence that is going to lead to the downfall of Richard Nixon. The Judicial Committee in the House of Representatives investigates. Uh, they uh, are they vote to um, uh, that they're they are going to uh, impeach Richard Nixon in the Senate. But what happens? Well, Nixon knows already knows where the votes are. Yeah. Uh, he knows he can't win. Uh, John Dean, White House attorney, has already said Nixon knew. We had the tapes. We have part of the tapes being erased. Um, The votes, even though the vote had not been taken, we knew what the vote was going to be. Probably also knew what the vote was going to be in the Senate. And Nixon resigns before any of that can take place. And um, Gerald Ford becomes president. And it is important to remember again that the House and Senate were Democrats and Richard Nixon was a Republican. So here again, you do have, I think, in this case, more than any other, a legitimate abuse of authority. A guy is abusing his authority to stay in office and and uh, doing uh, definitely uh, obstructing justice. 
in an effort uh, to stay in office. So this might, to me, this is the most clear-cut case of what maybe the founders were talking about, an abuse of power. But he doesn't get impeached. He resigns and becomes the only man in history to resign the offices of the president. He's never held accountable because Ford will pardon him Um, because you think there has to be criminal charges here. I mean, it's obstruction of justice. I mean, that's impeachable, but it's also criminal. Um, And Nixon, I mean, not Nixon, Ford goes out on a limb here and decides to pardon. Right. And it does lead, even though Ford is criticized and possibly loses his election to Carter, it does lead to getting Watergate uh, behind us and we move on. Right. And you have to also remember what is happening as well. This is in uh, Watergate's happening. Uh, Vietnam is happening. This is, uh, we're looking at uh, the oil troubles in the Middle East. This whole time period, we're not feeling real good about ourselves. So I, I, give, I do give high marks to Ford for putting this behind us because it was going to take years and years and years and years. Lawyers are going to argue forever. Uh, and no side was going to be happy. The side that thought uh, Nixon should go to jail, Nixon wasn't going to jail. The side that thought Nixon was going to go free, he wasn't going to go free. He was going to pay some sort of penalty. Um, but no side was going to be happy. And I think Ford did the right thing by pardoning him. All right. Well, now we move on to the last uh, case of, of Congress impeaching. And again, you have a Congress and a president of two different political parties. You have the House of Representatives being controlled by the Republicans, and you have Bill Clinton in office, uh, the Democrat, as president. So uh, what exactly uh, leads to his impeachment? Well, Ken Starr uh, and classic mission creep. Um, Bill Clinton might be the the most investigated president in history. Investigations happened almost immediately, and Ken Starr, independent counsel, uh, $70 million were spent on investigating Bill Clinton. And if my memory serves, I think it starts with uh, real estate deals in Arkansas that become known as Whitewater. Um, but as one you know stone is unturned, that stone leads you into another direction. And this is where Ken Starr, we get this idea of mission creep, um, which connects us to 1991 with Bill Clinton and Paula Jones. Uh, now, this is before he became president. The story is, is that Bill Clinton is in his hotel room. Uh, Paula Jones apparently wants to meet Bill Clinton. Um, Arkansas state troopers take Paula Jones up to the hotel room and uh, we're not sure what happens. Uh, Paula Jones says she was sexually assaulted and Bill Clinton says that's not true, um, which leads to a civil case. Supreme Court says a sitting president can be uh, tried in a civil case. So the president has to give sworn statements. Depositions. Depositions in the Paula Jones case. And uh, he does. And, and, you know, uh, what he's accused of is uh, is sexual harassment. And there was something they would say harassment. I, I remember that. There was a little bit of a. Uh, disagreement about how to how to pronounce that, but that's what he's accused of. And a lot of these cases, most of them, occur privately. People don't tend to sexually harass somebody when there's a bunch of witnesses. So what the prosecuting attorney has to do is establish a pattern of behavior. And that's where we get Monica testimony about Monica Lewinsky coming in. 
Uh, he, uh, Ken Starr, was notified uh, by one of Monica Lewinsky's friend uh, that that the president and her m- were involved in a relationship, and they get the president to talk about that information is passed to the people who are prosecuting the uh, sexual harassment case, and they ask the president in a deposition about the affair with Monica Lewinsky. And uh, during that deposition, uh, Clinton famously says, there is nothing going on between us. And that sentence is your obstruction of justice, uh, is actually is your perjury charge, um, because there was something going on between them. And then you get Bill Clinton famously saying, well, it depends on what your definition of is is. If you mean there was nothing ever going on between us, well, that's not true. But there is nothing is as in right now, there's nothing going on between us. That literally is true. Well, that is how many lawyers can we bounce on the head of a pin? And certainly the Republican Congress was not interested in the nuance of that. And he is that's perjury. He lied under oath. Uh, apparently, he also had persuaded Lewinsky to lie. And now that's obstruction of justice. And impeachment uh, articles of impeachment are drafted. And we get a uh, impeachment trial, an impeachment vote, and eventually a trial in the Senate. Right. And the one of the odd things, one of the things I find is all during this process, Bill Clinton, uh, popular, he's a popular president, and his, actually his job approval rating goes up. He's, he is a popular president because he, basically because the economy is doing well. And so people like him. And there's a real backlash against the Republicans who are trying to get him out of office. Um, there's also the sense, in the, even though the, the charges are more serious, obstruction of justice and uh, perjury and so forth, uh, that he's basically being prosecuted because he had an extramarital affair. And a lot of people know that Several presidents have had extramarital affairs, you know, from uh, I think Warren G. Harding was supposed to. Uh, one of the things said about him is he loved the company of any woman who wasn't his wife. <laughs> and uh, JFK had maybe the most famous affair, a presidential affair of all time with, with Marilyn Monroe. So uh, there, there was this idea that this isn't really what the founders were talking about, high crimes and misdemeanors. It, this, 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 it's not right, but it it doesn't uh, require uh, the removal of the president from office. And Clinton also came into the White House with a reputation. Um, you know, they, the reason why they called him Slick Willie, there was a reason. I mean, he came in with a reputation of being a womanizer. Um, Which he, he was. It was a well-earned. Uh, yes, it was well-earned. So it wasn't a shock to the American people. The American people were surprised, I think, at the extent and how blatant it was happening in the Oval Office. Wow, absolutely. Um, but the fact that he would have an affair was certainly didn't shock anybody. Um, I remember a political cartoon of the time. It had this big Titanic ship and it had impeachment written on the side of it. And the ship was on the beach and chained to the ship were a number of Republicans who were 
pulling the ship along. Um, this idea that no one really cared about the impeachment that much, but the Republicans simply pushed and pushed and pushed it, and it was a backlash. Um, as you say, Clint- I actually think Henry Hyde, who was the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, which had to vote articles of impeachment, I actually think he said later that it was in retribution for the impeachment of Richard Nixon. <laughs> so th- there you get this partisan politics again that always rears its ugly head in these impeachment proceedings. The as you said, the Republicans, I mean, the Clinton actually, his approval rating actually went up. And in the midterm elections, which typically the sitting president actually, the party loses seats, um, they actually gained five seats. So uh, impeachment is a political hammer. And if you're not careful, you may hit your own thumb with it. Right. So yeah, we passed, uh, you, you know, Ronald Reagan had his own scandal in Iran-Contra. I, I don't think, uh, and the Democrats did control the House during the majority of maybe all of the Reagan administration, but he was a popular guy. And I think the Democrats had, um, you know, they hadn't wanted to uh, uh, do anything against him. The Republicans ignored that last and went ahead, did something against Clinton. And and really uh, this idea of impeachment, although you hear people talking about it, people didn't like uh, the Iraq War, you know, let's impeach Bush, and you know they didn't like Obama for numerous reasons. Let's impeach Obama. There's there's really no talk about it now. There is some talk about it with Donald Trump. Yeah, I think this is a little bit different. Um, we're going to get back into the definition of what really impeachment is and how how would a party view it. Um, now the Democrats aren't in control of the House representatives, so for them to launch. An impeachment would be they'd have to have Republican support for it. Well, there have already been an impeachment vote, and it was voted right. down. So, so in the Republic, them, and right now you hear very few Democrats talking about impeachment. Uh, matter of fact, I think most of them are going out of their way not to use the word because they remember what happened with Bill Clinton. That you act, it actually worked against them, uh, the Republicans at the time. So, I do not with this current president unless there comes something that the Republicans are supporting as well. Let's hypothetically, let's say the Democrats win control of the House Representatives um, this November. Uh, they are not going to push for an impeachment unless they have Republican support. That lesson was learned with Bill Clinton. Uh, the hammer could hit you in the thumb, and simply you strengthen the party uh, that you are working against. Well, yeah, I, I think if the the Democrats win control of the House of Representatives, I think there's a pretty good chance they'll vote for the Judiciary Committee to open hearings. Yes. Because that brings to the public um, any really bad information they have about the president, which is something that you want to do as a rival political party. And there's a couple different things. Uh, that they could bring. One is a violation of the so-called emoluments clause in the Constitution, which says that uh, no person holding any office uh, without the consent of the Congress except of any president, emolument, office, or title of any kind whatsoever from king, prince, or foreign state. So this idea is if Trump has made any money off of his properties, uh, partly because he was president, uh, I think in here is it, has there been any money exchange between Russians and himself? But I don't know if the emoluments clause is going to get us to impeachment. I think what would get us uh, to impeachment is is 
absolute evidence that there was a quid pro quo. Right. That somehow the Russians helped us, uh, helped the Trump administration uh, come to power. They helped during the election, buying their face, you know, the Facebook stuff, the, the pushing it on social media, dividing us, having their bots, uh, you know, sort of attack the internet, and uh, revealing the uh, emails from the head of the Clinton campaign at, at strategic times. If there's some kind of collusion where then the Trump administration agreed to do something, lessen sanctions against Russia. Uh, maybe, or if there was any money that, you know, did Jared, uh, uh, get any, Jared Kushner get any money or anybody else get any money from the Russians, then you're going to have, uh, charges that are going to be hard to ignore, but we don't know. We don't know what Mueller's going to find out. No, there's a lot of smoke right now. I mean, if I were sitting in the white house, certainly this is not something you can be ignore. Uh, you can ignore Every one of our intelligence agencies has told us absolutely the Russians interfered in our election. Well, seven uh, states had their system hacked, according right. to Right. And we're learning now that it just wasn't also for Trump. Uh, apparently, it was also in favor of Bernie Sanders, too, at certain points. You mean the bots and yes. pushing certain stories. Exactly, pushing certain stories. So this idea that Donald Trump says it's a fat 400-pound fat guy in a bed in New Jersey uh, is simply not true. Uh, absolutely, the Russians were involved if we're going to believe every single one of our um, intelligence services. Then the indictments are happening. Uh, Russians have been indicted for doing exactly what the intelligence agencies have said. Um, this thir 13 Russians. I right, believe. 13 Russians. If this, if this investigation is pointing in a direction it is certainly pointing in a negative direction for Donald Trump. Now, will it make the ultimate connection that there was known collusion between the Russians and some part of um, the, the Trump, Trump campaign? campaign. But that's, that, even that's not going to be enough. Trump, you're going to have to make the connection that even Trump himself knew about this. So what did he know and when did he know? We're back to the Watergate question. Exactly. You know, so the fact that Nixon actively tried to cover up, uh, and that could be proven. That was the straw that's going to break the camel's back. You know, you, you may get that there, let, let's say hypothetically, there was collusion at multiple levels of the Trump campaign, which again, we have no evidence yet of any of that being true. But well, let's, we, yeah, okay, of known collusion. Um, you still have to make the connection that Donald Trump knew about it. Um, and that is a huge, that might be a bridge too far. You know, that's a huge leap. And again, we don't know what Mueller is saying. So right now, when you hear people say, oh, obviously he should be impeached or that, well, there's absolutely no evidence of collusion. Well, both those sides are, they're, they don't, they're only seeing a few cards on the table. Mueller is very good at what he's doing. Uh, the leaks have been few and far between. Um, even the order in which he is doing indictments is interesting, that he is indicting Russians first to sort of lay the groundwork that this is all, this has happened. I actually got guilty pleas first. From, well, yes, from Manafort. Well, Manafort doesn't have it, but his partner, G Gates, does. Right. And then a uh, guilty plea from Flynn, who was the president. Flynn, that's right. For lying about his contacts with the Russians. And again, you know, that's the smoke. Why do you lie about contacts with Russians? What happened there?
And Manafort's the weirdest choice in American political history to head uh, a campaign uh, because he had worked for a decade for the uh, pro-Russian prime minister of the Ukraine. And to somehow come back to American politics at, at, at that point is a very, very strange decision. And it's obviously that Flynn thinks, or excuse me, that uh, Mueller thinks that's a very strange decision because he's definitely going after Paul Manafort. And 30 charges against him. Right. So we, we need to know that stuff. Nobody can predict impeachment without knowing the investigation. I would say no person who likes the American political process and who respects the Constitution uh, wants Russia to interfere with our elections. They're not our buddies. Elections are bedrock principle of free and fair elections uh, without foreign interference, bedrock principle of American democracy. So we all need to get to the bottom of this and then see what happens. Yeah. Now, there are things about Donald Trump, and I'm not going to go into policy here because that's, you know, we want to turn it into that kind of podcast. We're talking about policies. Um, But there are a couple things that Donald Trump has been doing that that it is troubling to me. First thing is the downplay or the attack on the free press, um, this idea that everything is fake news. The free press or the freedom of the press may very well be the most important right in the whole Bill of Rights. Without the free press, you have no idea what your government is doing. So the idea that your executive would attack the free press to the point of you believing them to be unreliable and that the mainstream media then falls under this huge umbrella of just being so biased, I think that is very dangerous and that the only truth you can get is from the person themselves. The second thing I find troubling is the attack on the judiciary. Um, that a Mexican judge cannot be fair, uh, that the Supreme Court's decisions uh, aren't correct. You know, I remember Gore versus Gore v. Bush, and when Gore lost that very controversial decision uh, with the recount in Florida in 2000, uh, I remember a speech by Al Gore when he said, you know, I am very disappointed uh, in this decision but I support this decision. It is a Supreme Court, and the right thing to do is listen to the Supreme Court because that's the foundation of our, one of the foundations of our country. And it does trouble me to some degree that Donald Trump seems to be attacking some of the foundations of our democracy, the judiciary branch, and the freedom of the press. Yeah, that worries a lot of people. I mean, Donald Trump wasn't a politician, and for some people, that's a big plus. But he's also a guy that doesn't know about some of our basic governmental and historical traditions. I remember he was asked about respect for the Constitution. I think he said something like he had respect for all 10 or 11 or however many articles. But there's only seven. He didn't even know how many articles were in the Constitution. So this is a guy uh, who, who, who doesn't know, and, and, and I think— Basically, Donald Trump's principle is whatever is good for Donald Trump is good and whatever is bad for Donald Trump is bad. And uh, that's, uh, uh, that's a hard position when you're president of the United States because now you have to be bigger than that. And I don't think he's bigger than that 
But is that is that necessarily grounds for impeachment? Is that high? Grade? No, no, that's not going to be brought unless he were to be going after their license to uh, broadcast uh, right. or something along those lines. I mean, that, it, it, it's it's bad. It's bad for the American people because if it's successful, then other pre- other future presidents may follow suit and continue the attack on the free press, and that's not a precedent that we want. All right, now I think we've. I'm going to come to the sixty four thousand dollar question here, um, Jeff. And I want you to make a prediction on the impeachment of Donald Trump. Um, do you think with before the 2000, 2020 election, will Mueller and the investigation come up with something that we will see Donald Trump, not necessarily removed, but we will see Donald Trump impeached? Um, I don't think there'll be a trial in the Senate. So that's what actual impeachment is. I do think, because I think the Democrats will have control of the House, that the Judiciary Committee will be investigating articles of impeachment. And they might get around right before the 2020 (laughs) election to bringing those charges. But no, I don't think that's how Trump is going to leave office. I think he's either going to... Actually, if I had to bet money, we can go back to the 100 bucks. I think I would put 75 to 80 bucks on he's not going to run again. Okay, and and then when he announces he's not going to run again, uh, that's going to be less motivation for the Democratic Congress or the Judiciary Committee, controlled by a Democratic chairman, to investigate him and 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 refer articles of impeachment to the whole House, uh, which will then vote to take it to the Senate. So I say no on the full process of impeachment. What do you say? I say no as well. Um, I think the Democrats look at a wounded Trump as much more beneficial to their side as an impeached Trump. Um, if he, if the more Mueller brings out, um, the Democrats don't want to impeach him. Um, I would think they would love to tar and feather more Republicans with Trumpisms uh, and see how far Republicans are willing to defend him and try to win as many seats in Congress as possible. This is a political process, and I think the Democrats are going to ask themselves, Let's say hypothetically, let's say something does come up that is impeachable, they think, and they may be able to remove. I think the question becomes, what is political more beneficial for the Democratic Party, a wounded Donald Trump or a uh, uh, Mike Pence presidency? And I think the answer is a more as a wounded Donald Trump. Uh, politically, that is what's going to be best for the Democratic Party. So if they get in, if they get in uh, control of the House representatives. I think they don't do it, and I think exactly what you say. If it does happen, it'll be close to the 2020 election, uh, really to f- make a laser focus on force the Republicans to make a choice. Right. So uh, impeachment, we've we've talked about. It. I think we all it's necessary. Yes. Yeah. You, you can't, but it does have the potential for abuse. It's been abused, but it's also it's also served its purpose. And in at least one case, and maybe even in the case of Johnson and Clinton too, and the fact that these guys were, they were, in the case of Clinton, he certainly was a sexual predator, and it called attention to that. So uh, even though that wasn't the charge against him, can it? Doesn't say treason, high crimes, sexual predator, <laughs> sexual predator, and uh, you know. Uh, there was a war fought with the most casualties in American history. And John, there certainly is a sense that Johnson would have betrayed uh, 
the legacy of those who had fallen at Gettysburg and other places. Uh, and certainly Nixon was using this, the, the White House for political advantage and, and undermining fair and free elections. So I think he got what was coming to him. So, but uh, we don't want to get rid of the process. Uh, and I think we both agree that right now, it's not going to play out with Trump being impeached. I agree, and uh, we appreciate everyone tuning in to another episode of History, Politics, and Beer. And again, our email address is historypoliticsandbeer at gmail.com. Drop us a line. Give us uh, things you might want to listen to, and we'll be back probably next week with another exciting edition. So thanks again.